prayer that gets results. How many of you are enjoying the series? All right, great. Uh, I really want to encourage you to get onto the website and be praying those prayers. Amen. In the past, we just had the YouTubes where you could uh, pray along with my voice there and some music in the background, and that's wonderful. We, but we've now put up the PDFs, so you can actually download the PDFs with those crafted prayers. And they might not be there forever, just so you know, okay? Because at a certain point, they're going to become a resource, a product that's going to be sold and that kind of thing, okay? So um, the early birds catch the worm. Amen. We're making it available to you. As, a, um, as part of this congregation. I want to continue with the ingredients for prayer that gets results, and I'm dealing with the ninth and tenth one today. And we're going to start off by looking at embracing the power of your imagination. Embracing the power of your imagination. There's an advert that I saw recently, and I was driving along the N1, and it says, hunters, refreshes like nothing on earth. How many of you have seen those adverts? Okay, you see it there and it looks very cold, right? Cold as in cool, icy, and you're driving and it's a massive billboard. How I wish we had massive billboards like that for the church, amen? Now you see that image. Let me ask you a question. Is it true or not? You see hunters there as in the beer? And straight underneath it says, refreshes like nothing on earth. Is that true or false? It's false. It's false. But you see, there's a battle for your mind. There's a battle for your mind. And what the enemy is trying to do is to implant images that are false that will control you. And that's why when we talk about renewal of the mind... We're actually talking about developing renewed images. How many of you know that your life is controlled by the image you have of various things? Right now, there's an image that you have of what success looks like. There's an image of it. Right now, you have an image of what a good wife looks like. That's why a lot of people have problems in their marriages because they go in with an image of this is what the perfect wife looks like. And then what happens? Is she ever that? This is what the perfect husband looks like. Is he ever that? It's important that we come to a place in our walk with the Lord where we dream with God, where we have his image. Amen? Amen. His image of our businesses, his image of what a good parent looks like, his image of what church is supposed to be like. And I'm telling you right now that a creative imagination that is sanctified, that is in line with the kingdom of God, is one of the most powerful raw materials to get results in your prayer. Amen? And so that's what we're going to look at this morning. So my question to you is, what's your image of success? What's your image of success? We all have a mental picture, but it's important to renew your mind by renewing your mental images. This is so crucial. How many of you know that as human beings, we remember in pictures? You know that we remember in pictures. If I say to you, I used the how train the other day, you're not going to be seeing G-A-U-T-R-A-I-N. You're going to have a picture of the how train. Amen. All right? So we remember in images, and our lives are controlled by what we behold in our mind. 
I'm going to go quite deep into this. All right? In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 3, it says, By faith we understand that the universe was formed at God's command. So what is seen was made out of what was, was not made out of what was visible. This is a very powerful statement. So what is seen was not made out of what was visible. Everything that you can see right now came out of the invisible. So there's the first creation, that's the mental creation. Is everyone following? In order for something to become a reality in our lives, you have to have first seen it beforehand. Everything that you can see in this place was seen before it manifest into the natural realm. And many times we go into prayer and we're trying to be people of faith, but we are not seeing what we should be seeing. There are some of you who are very pragmatic and you tend to focus just on what you can see in reality. You have to see it with your own eyes first. How many of you know that God saw creation before he created? Amen? When Jesus ministered, he said, I do only what I see my father doing. And by the way, he didn't say, I do only what I once saw my father doing before the creation of the world. He says, I do what I see my father doing. So that tells me that probably in Jesus' times of prayer and intercession, when he would rise up early, he was already seeing his father doing certain things. My question is, what is Father God doing in your life right now? What is Father God doing in your business right now? What is Father God doing in your family right now? Can you see the activities of heaven? And are you praying that which you can see? Amen? Are you praying that which you can see? You see, many times we pray from a place of anxiety. Many times we pray what we are feeling. I'm telling you, this will change your prayer life radically if you catch this. Many times we pray from a place of fear. Many times we pray images that have been sent to us by the enemy. What are you praying? What are you declaring? What are you decreeing? When Jesus said, thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. When Jesus said that, that means we have to be able to see what heaven is like. And that's why Jesus taught kingdom, didn't he? Jesus taught kingdom and he says the kingdom of God is like this. The kingdom of God is like that. And he was trying to paint a picture of heaven to us. And then our job as intercessors is to say, this is what I see happening in heaven. And once we see what is happening in heaven, using our imagination, we declare it. Your imagination is a part of your soul. What's your soul? Your soul is your mind, it's your will, it's your emotions, it's your intellect, and it's your imagination. And how many of you know that many people have been wounded in the realm of their soul? Many people have been wounded in the realm of their soul. When you're wounded in your soul, it affects your imagination. If a girl walks through and she's been treated badly by guys, and then I say to her, I want you to work closely with Sipo. Can you just work closely with Sipo on this particular project? She might say, you know what, um, give me Tracy, give me Tracy. And I say, what's wrong with Sipo? He's such a gentleman. No, all men are dogs. Question, are all men dogs? Some of you are doubting. Some of you are thinking, Paul, it just depends what type. Some are huskies, some are chihuahuas. Not all men are dogs. But why would she say that? We don't see the world as it is. We see the world as we are. We view the world through the lens of our experiences, unless we've experienced healing. 
So I'm not saying that just because you've had bad experiences with guys, it means that you'll see all men as dogs. We mustn't assume that. Amen? Unless you experience healing in the realm of your soul. Now, I've used male-female example, but you know that it affects people even in terms of church. Some of you have been hurt in church, and right now it affects the mental image you have of a pastor, of church members. You hear people making these inner vows, never again, I'll never do business with Christians again. There's some Christians, so-called Christians, that are dodgy, but there are many that are really great. But the image you have is controlling your decision-making. Is everyone following this morning? What image do you have? You know that a lot of people, especially people who've grown up with no good role models in terms of fathers, or no father at all? What's their default image of what a father looks like? What we found in church, very often our job is to reparent. When I mentor people, very often I actually like them to come to our house to see what I'm like with my kids. I'm not a perfect father, but to get a sense of how a father can relate to their kids. To see what I'm like with my wife. To get a sense of what a man can do and how he can relate to his wife. If you grew up in a family where you would see your parents being physically affectionate toward each other. How many of you grew up in a family like that? Where you saw your mom and dad hugging and kissing as they sat on the couch. Okay? That's about five people. That's about five people out of all of you saw that. How many of you, when you got married and your wife wanted you to be physically affectionate or your husband wanted you to be physically affectionate, you struggled a bit. You weren't used to it. How many of you, when you stand up in front of people, you struggle to even give your spouse a kiss? I know some of you. You struggle to give them a kiss in public because you're like, oh, oh, isn't that? How, oh. You never saw it modeled. You never saw it modeled. Are you following this morning? Part of the discipleship process in our lives when we make disciples is to model so that people get an image of what is true, what is right, and what is godly, and what is biblical. And then when you pray from a place of a powerful imagination, it's amazing what ends up happening. Our imagination, what is it? Our imagination is our capacity to visualize. It's our capacity to visualize. It's confident and hopeful of a reality that contradicts our experience. What is vision? Vision is the mental image produced by our imagination. So imagination and, and vision, very often we use them interchangeably. But it's not exactly the same thing. Where does vision come from? It comes from your imagination. Do you know what saddens me? What saddens me is the new age movement today is popularizing creative imagination. And they're doing it out there. And yet as Christians who have a sanctified imagination that's in line with the word of God, we don't use it. Are you following this morning? God is calling us to a place where we use our imagination. What do you see? When I think of that building we're going to have, when I think of whatever we're going to build, whatever we're going to purchase, I need to be seeing something. I need to be visualizing something. Amen? And then what's powerful is where you see together the same thing. And we're going to cover that today. You see, it's one thing to dream. It's another thing to dream together. It's amazing how um, we made a decision. You know, my kids for a long time have wanted us to move into a particular estate that's uh, next to their school. 
And uh, we're like, oh, that's very pricey. Oh, that's going to be tricky. Or, you know, we've said various things. And then we just made a decision that, you know what, we've got a nice place where we are. Why don't we just settle here? We don't have to move to that other place, right? And now with Samuel starting high school next year, we're like, you know what, he's going to a different place anyway. We're no longer actually that desperate to be extremely close to their current school because kids grow. Amen? <laughs> Some of you know what I'm talking about, right? You make decisions based on your children, and then within a couple of years, they move on right? You buy them expensive shoes and then they, 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 they're too small after six months. Amen? You know what I'm talking about? And they try to compare what you get for yourself with what, what they get. <laughs> ah, but look how expensive your shoes are. Yes, but I'm going to have my shoes. My wife was saying that to them the other day. But I'm going to have them for a number of years. What about you guys? You know? In a few months, it's like you need something else. My boots, mommy, my boots are too small for me. You know what I'm talking about? So what's happened is we made a decision to stay on where we are staying, right? And it's so powerful as a family when we sit down and we just dream together to say, okay, when we renovate this place, when we add this, when we subtract that, what is it going to look like? If it's one thing to dream by yourself, it's another thing to dream together. I encourage you to do that. Amen? It's extremely powerful. Embrace the power of your imagination. Some of you used to dream, but hope deferred makes the heart grow sick. You know what I'm talking about? One of my books is entitled Redreaming. Why is it called Redreaming? Because many of us have to learn to dream again. There's something that happens between the age of 7 and 17. Because before that, you find that as kids, we are dreaming. We are saying we want to become this, we want to become that. And between the ages of 7 and 17, life happens. Sometimes even later on in life, you experience disappointments and you're like, what's the point of dreaming? How many of you know that when you hope, we spoke about hope last week, when I hope, when you hope, we've got a mental picture of it, isn't it? Hope is joyful, confident expectation. When you say, I'm expecting this, I'm expecting a new job, you are seeing something, aren't you? My question to you is, are you using the power of your imagination when it comes to prayer? You know that very often I'm visualizing my day. I'm visualizing my day. I still remember I was with some clients of mine in one of the banks and I was sitting down with them. Physically, I was feeling quite exhausted. I'd had back-to-back -back coaching and I remember it was athletic season and I remember that I had disciplined one of my kids the day or so before, but I was going now to athletics and I knew I would be cheering him on. And I still remember visualizing the next part of my day. And I say that I was teaching these principles to some of the people I was coaching. And I actually said, you know what, guys? When I get onto the highway and I go to my kids' school and I watch them doing athletics, you know what? One of them I had to discipline last night. But I can actually see myself. I'm visualizing myself cheering him on because I want to reinforce to him that daddy still celebrates you even though he was upset with you last night. Are you hearing me? But if I hadn't visualized that, guess what's going to happen? Guess what was going to happen? I would have gone by my default. Maybe I was still carrying something, right? I might have thought like, yeah, you know what? If he doesn't do too well in high jump there, or if he, it was my middle son, okay, it was Jaden. If he doesn't do too well, um, you know, uh, maybe it's good. Maybe it teaches him a lesson. That's what happens. But sometimes what happens is that we have to get into God's presence. We have to be in a place where we're saying, I'm going to visualize not just the next 10 years, but even the next three hours. I'm going to see it. And then like Jesus said, I do what I see my father doing. So I have to say to myself, Lord, what's your heart towards my son? Lord, what do you want to reinforce toward him? 
I remember I was in a situation, it was very, very much that same day, I also visualized how I would be toward my wife. I know that her primary love language is quality time and touch. And even though I was feeling extremely exhausted at the time, I knew how I was going to be when I arrived at that athletics. Because I could have just drifted away and chatted to some of the other parents, but I know what my wife appreciates. I saw myself doing it. Sometimes I see myself in situations and people will say, Paul, you dealt with that situation very calmly. You weren't reacting. How did you do it? And you know what I want to tell them? I pressed the replay button of something I'd already seen before. Amen? I pressed the replay button of a video I'd already been watching before. I'm telling you when that mental picture becomes so strong, your prayers, when you pray according to that mental picture, become extremely powerful. I'm going to show you now in the word. Amen. My question to you is, what do you see on a daily basis? What are you seeing? You see, many of us, we visualize, we use our imagination, but you know what our problem is? We use it negatively. Your, your imagination can work for you or it can work against you. Many of us use our imagination negatively. What do I mean by that? If you say to me, Paul, I'm really worried about what my boss is going to say to me tomorrow at work. I'm telling you right now, there's something you're seeing. If you're afraid of being blamed by your boss, there's a picture you have, there's a video you're playing right now. If your boss is shorter than you, you can see that video where they're saying, it's your fault. <laughs> and they're lifting that finger up to you like it's a fault, pointing, right? If they're taller than you, it's your fault. If they're shorter than you, but they wear stilettos, it's your fault. Okay? You can see that. Look at John 20, verse 29. Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. He's talking to Thomas, doubting Thomas, right? Because you have seen me, you've seen what happens to my, to my hands. You've seen my nail-scarred hands. Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen in the natural, and yet they have believed. That's imagination, isn't it? Thomas needed to develop his capacity to imagine what he could not see in the natural. You see, when Jesus says, I rose from the dead, they didn't see how he did it, but they had a picture. Everyone following? They had a picture. That's your imagination. If you're the kind of person who says, uh-uh, yes, you've painted a picture in words. Yes, I see it in the Bible, but mm -mm, until I see it, flesh and blood in front of me, then I will believe. The Bible here says, blessed are those who have not seen in the natural, yet they believe. May God help us as we develop our capacity to use our imagination. In John 5 verse 19, I've been sharing this with you. Jesus gave them this answer. Very truly I tell you, the son can do nothing by himself. He can do only what he sees his father doing. In other words, the son cannot do what he doesn't see the father doing. There's a profound mystery here. It says he can only do what he sees the father doing. The nature of Christ-likeness, the nature of ministering in the spirit, means you have to have first seen the blueprint of heaven before you can do it. Because when you try to do it without having seen the father doing it, you end up doing things in the flesh. It might look good on the outside, but heaven is not applauding. There are no results. Amen? 
How many of you would want to walk so closely with Father God that you're seeing what Father is doing and then you're doing what you see? Amen? By the way, when Jesus spoke about this, this is present tense, isn't it? He's not saying what the Father once did. He's not saying what the Father will do one day. He's basically saying there's stuff my Father is doing right now and I'm seeing it. He says my Father still works. <laughs> okay? Extremely powerful when you catch this. Jesus saw first, then acted. We must see first, then pray. What is influencing your seeing today? What is influencing how you see? If you lead an organization, are you seeing something that's your size or are you seeing something that's God's size? If you're a leader in this church, whatever department you're leading, are you seeing something that's your size or are you seeing something that's God's size? And are you praying what you are seeing? Amen? What are you seeing on a daily basis? You see, God wants our imagination to be redeemed. God is calling us to dream with him. There's a particular leader in a particular organization. Our sons are friends. And I find it very interesting because this particular leader said to me the one day, you know what? I take an afternoon off every week in order to just dream in order to just reflect. And then he went on to say to me, but Paul, I'm using the wrong language. I shouldn't be saying I take an afternoon off to do that because that should be part of my work. I was sharing this with one organization a few days ago. I was saying the work of a leader, a large portion of it is dreaming, visioneering, imagination, imaginating. It's a nice new word, eh? <laughs> using your imagination. All right? It's part of leadership. My question to you is, those of you as you're leading your families, what's your vision for your family? Those of you who are leading organizations, what's your vision for your organization? Do you know that some research was carried out where they asked people and they said, what do you look for in leaders? And guess what the top thing was that came up? It was integrity. It was words like integrity, honesty, authenticity. People want to see, are you true or are you real or are you a fake? Are you a bootleg? Guess what the second highest thing was that came up? A long-range view of things. Vision. If you're in leadership, people want to know, where is this department going in the next two years? Your kids want to know, where's our family going in the next five years? Yes, things are not great right now, but can you give me hope? Napoleon Bonaparte once said, leaders are dealers in hope. Amen? You know what the challenge for us is, ladies and gentlemen? You know that in China, they think in centuries. They think in centuries. I remember coaching a particular lady once, and uh, she said, yeah, my funders were a bit stunned when I showed them my 150-year um, vision. It was either 100 or 150 <laughs> that she had. You know what our problem is on the African continent? We focus just on the present and the past. Have you noticed that? We focus just on the present and the past. It's like we're sitting on the how train. 
Angela is laughing. We're sitting on the how train and we are going to Santon, but we're still sitting looking back at Pretoria. You know what I'm talking about, right? If you look at our political narrative, what our politicians talk about, very often they're arguing about the past. And maybe if we're fortunate talking about current affairs, but how much vision is happening concerning the future? How many people can you go to today on the continent and say, what's your 20-year vision, leader? What's your 50-year vision? Can you unpack it for me? What the continent of Africa needs today is people with a powerful imagination. Amen? And those who are true intercessors, they see what's going on in heaven, and that's what they decree, and we see it taking place on the earth. Amen? What image do you have of yourself in relation to others? So there's how I see God. There's the image I have of God. There's how I see others. And there's how I see myself. And there's how I see the world. A lot of people who grew up in families where there was so much fighting at home, do you know their view of the world very often? The world is a dangerous place. You must always protect yourself. I'm amazed how the number, the number of people I meet who are strong characters, but they avoid conflict. Because the message to them is, you know, if you're fighting with, if there's conflict, it's, it's a disaster. My life will end. Amen? Be very careful how much fighting goes on in the house, especially in front of little kids. Because in the first 10 years of that child's life, their personality is being formed. And they develop an image concerning what the world looks like. The world is a dangerous place. Just be cautious. The world is a dangerous place. Never confront anyone. I mean, if you know what I'm talking about. Are you getting something this morning? You see this principle in Numbers 13, verse 33. The Bible here says, we saw the Nephilim, okay? We saw the Nephilim there. They're talking about the promised land, right? The descendants of Anak come from the Nephilim. We seemed like grasshoppers. We seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes. How do they see themselves? We saw ourselves as grasshoppers in our own eyes and we looked the same to them. There's a very powerful truth here. How you see yourself will influence how other people see you. Very often people treat you how you treat yourself. You are responsible. I am responsible to mentor the people around me in how they should treat me. Are you following this morning? If you see yourself in such a negative light, you tend to project that onto the people around you. And very often they take their cue from you. Have you noticed that people who are strong when it comes to self-respect, they're like, ah, oh, you can't talk to me like that. And people end up not talking to them like that because they problematize it. Right? Whenever we're talking about be, being bullied, let's not just focus on the bully and the behavior of the bully. Let's also focus on the target. How many of you know that there are a lot of people around that are bullyable? 
There's the psychology of a bully, but there's the psychology of a target. That's why often people who are bullied, they're bullied wherever they go in life. And after a while, you discover, wait a minute, it's not just about the people bullying me, it's about me also. Why am I a target? I'm not excusing the behavior of the bully, but I'm saying let's also take ownership and say, uh-uh, I'm not going to do this. Why is it that we see someone getting out of an abusive relationship and where do they jump into? Another abusive one. Let me tell you something, it's not just about the abuser, it's about the person who's also enabling the abuse. They become codependent, you're right. Well done, Lerato. They become codependent. We saw them. We seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes. And we looked the same to them. Now, if people think you're a grasshopper, they'll treat you like a grasshopper. Not so? I'm not saying be arrogant. I'm not saying be proud. I'm not saying don't turn the other cheek. In fact, sometimes part of being meek as a person, meekness is strength under control. And part of meekness is not stooping down to people's level. So when they try to bully you, it's not necessarily bullying them back. When they are harsh and horrible to you, it's not like, okay, I'll give, I can give as good as I get. You know, you hear people saying that. No, all you're doing is you're in reaction mode. Sometimes it requires more strength to just keep quiet. Sometimes it requires more strength to not react. Someone shouts at you, you shout at them back. Why? I'm not going to allow someone else's behavior to control mine. Amen? Why? I've got an image of myself. This is the person I am. This is who I will be, regardless of how you are toward me. Amen? How do you see yourself? Do you know that your prayers will be influenced by how you see yourself? If you see yourself as a king's kid, son of the most high God, you will pray prayers accordingly. How many feel that when someone is a prince in real life, Prince Harry, let's talk about Prince Harry, right? There are certain requests he can make, I'm sure, from his, from, his, from his dad, from his grandmother, the queen. There are certain things he can ask for because he knows he's a prince. Amen? What image do you have of yourself? Do you see yourself as, I'm just, woe is me, I'm a sinner. I can't even ask God for anything. That mental picture you have of yourself, especially those of you who are still covered in shame, still covered in a guilty conscience from when you were in the world, that mental image you have of yourself will affect your prayers. I see a number of people who've come from a backslidden situation coming into church, and there's this mentality they have where they don't expect anything from God, but it's, so, it's influenced by the image they have of themselves. Your image will determine the level of your prayer. Amen. What's your image concerning the type of Christian you want to be? When you think of yourself in five years' time, for some of you, that's when you're 25. For some of you, that's when you're 35. For some of you, that's when you're 50. When you see that image you have of yourself as a believer, what are you doing? Close your eyes. Let's just close our eyes. What do you see yourself doing? Are you going on missions? Are you reaching the lost? Are you running a discipleship group? What's your mental picture of the type of believer that you are? Are you a business person? See it. Can you see it? How big is the, is the organization that you're leading? Do you have a family? Are you now married? 
What picture do you have of yourself? Are you a speaker? Are you a communicator? Can you see the power of visualizing it? Then you pray accordingly. How many of you get stage fright? You struggle with stage fright. When you get, out, get in, up in front of people, you can't speak. You freeze. Ra raise your hand. Just be honest. All right? A number of people in the room. All right? I want to encourage you to do something. Next time you're about to speak, the night before, in fact, just get into the practice of doing this. Just lie down in a relaxed state and have a picture of yourself speaking in front of the people. Right? How are you feeling when you're speaking? In other words, get into the emotional state that you want to be in. Athletes do that. Emotional conditioning. But very often people just roll out of bed and pitch up at work. You know what I'm talking about, right? I was speaking to someone recently, a CEO of a company. They said, there was a workshop and they said, with you millennials, I'm sometimes wondering, what do you do? Like, do you just roll out of bed and rock up at work? What do you guys actually do? Do you see me in my car? For a few minutes before work starts, you see me, I've arrived at work, but I'm still in my car. I am doing certain things to prepare myself because I'm conscious of how I show up. My question to you is, what do you see? Very often before I speak, I've already seen myself. I've seen myself feeling confident. I've seen myself walking around cracking jokes. People are laughing at my jokes. I've seen myself. I've created a mental picture of how I'm going to be. Amen. I've placed myself in the emotional state that I want to be in. And you know what? That emotional state becomes normal for me. You see, the problem with many Christians is they've become friends with fear. They've become friends with fear. So they're like, oh, I'm not that type of person. For, I'm me, I get nervous. And it's become part of their personality. Amen. You see, when you visualized it beforehand, what happens is when you're now in that moment, when you start feeling anxious, that anxiety is a foreign entity. You don't embrace it as, oh, this is me, I'm always like this. That anxiety is something else. It's foreign, and you can rebuke it because it's not giving you a spirit of timidity, but of power, of love, and of a sound mind. That's the born-again spirit. Amen. There's a guy called Paul J. Mayer. Some of you might have heard of him. He started an organization called SMI, Success Motivation International. And I love what he says about vision. Can I share it with you? Right? What you vividly imagine, ardently desire, sincerely believe, and enthusiastically act upon must inevitably come to pass. Say it after me. And you're going to say it using the word I. What I vividly imagine, ardently desire, sincerely believe, and enthusiastically act upon, must inevitably come to pass. That's the power of the imagination. And you know what? It's unique to us as human beings. Animals can't do it. Last time I checked, our new great Dane didn't come to me and say, oh, my name is Chloe, and here's my five-year plan. Can you sign it off? Amen? 
Animals can't do that. But as human beings, we've got an imagination. And God gave it to us so we can create with it. You know the raw materials for prayer? I'll mention to you about three or four. Number one, faith. We covered that, right? That, that's raw material that God can use. He's looking, he's looking, he's looking. He says, is there faith in this environment? Yes, there's faith. He's attracted to it. You know what the other one is? Our words. Are these the words of the kingdom? Are these the words of the kingdom? Oh, this is raw material for God to create stuff with. Amen? And you know what the next one is? Our imagination. What are they seeing? What are they visualizing? I can use it. What are the mental pictures in their heart? I can use this, says the Lord. Amen? The other one we're going to touch on just now is unity. It's unity. Are they together in this? Are they together in this? Genesis chapter 11, verses 1 to 9. Now the whole world had one language and common speech. As people moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar. Say Shinar. Okay. And settled there. They said to each other, come, let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They used brick instead of stone and tar for mortar. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we will be scattered over the face of the whole earth. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower the people were building. The Lord said, if as one people speaking the same language, they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible to them. Nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Some translations say nothing they imagine to do. Were these guys saved? But God understands this law because he's the one who created it. That when there's vision, when there's imagination, and there's unity, and their words, because they says, come, let's do this. And they were in agreement. Guess what happened? They could do the impossible. And God in his wisdom thought, mm -mm, these guys, I don't trust their heart level. Remember, these were the days when God was like, hey, people, why did I create these guys? Right? So he, he knows what their heart condition is like. And he's like, you know what? Let me come and let me scatter them. Do you know that the devil also uses that technique? That word for devil is diablos, and one of its meanings is the one who comes to divide. The one who divides, the one who brings division. You know what the enemy tries to do? He tries to divide us so that our prayers are ineffective. Now this is so powerful, what God does. He says, come, let us go down and confuse their language so they will not understand each other. So the Lord scattered them from there all over the earth, and they stopped building the city. That is why it was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of the whole world. From there the Lord scattered them over the face of the earth. The devil wants to affect what you see. Be very careful of the mental images you have in your mind. The raw material God gives us to create things in our lives, one of them is vision imagination. In fact, the word that is used in Genesis 11 is the word yazemu. Everyone say yazemu. Yeah. Sounds Japanese, right? 
It means to consider, it means to purpose, and it means to devise. So they had a vision. They had considered something. You have to see it first. You have to see it first. Genesis 6 verse 5. I want to show you what happens with people's mental imagery. The Lord observed the extent of human wickedness on the earth, and he saw that everything they thought or imagined was consistently and totally evil. God's concern wasn't so much just what the people did. God's concern was what they devised in their imagination. You know what's so challenging for us today? If you watch certain movies, hopefully you don't watch these types of movies, but sometimes you watch them, and what, what happens? What goes on in your mind? You think to yourself, how did someone concoct this? How did someone come up with this? How many of you know that the enemy can literally plant certain thoughts in people's hearts and they create evil? That's why the Bible talks about those who invent evil. Amen? You see it happening. And God is very interested in our imagination. And so he wants to sanctify it. Do you know one of the things God hates? You know the scripture says there are these six things that the Lord hates. It's an abomination to the Lord. Guess what one of them is? Are you reading it? Are you going to read it just now? <laughs> A heart that devises wicked imaginations. Feet that be swift in running to mischief. It's highlighted as one of the things that God hates. A heart that devises wicked imaginations. That's in the King James. In a lot of translations, it'll talk about your thoughts. Okay? A heart that considers evil thoughts. In Romans 1 verse 21, it says, Because that, when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were they thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, vain in their thoughts. And their foolish heart, foolish heart, was darkened. Some translations say futile. They became futile in their thinking or their speculations. When you do not actively include God in your imaginations, your imaginations can work against you. When you're passive in terms of what you allow into your mind, those mental pictures, it can end up working against you. I said to you earlier on, we are controlled by our imaginations. We make decisions based on our imaginations. Think about it. Back in the day, we were told a beautiful woman looks like this. If you grew up in the 80s, there was a picture of what a, a, a beautiful woman looks like. You know what I'm talking about. And it changes, right? Remember the days when models were, very, were quite voluptuous? You guys know what voluptuous means, right? <laughs> they were not skinny. Right? Okay, someone is, someone is doing the shape. I, I'm not going to do the shape. I'm a pastor, I don't do that shape, right? There were the days when that was the picture of what beautiful looked like. Then at a certain point, you started having all these anorexic models. You know what I'm talking about, right? Stick thin, right? And you think to yourself, that doesn't look that nice. But in contemporary society, we're being told by the media, this is what beautiful looks like. And people make decisions based on that. You see it happening when someone might be thinking, growing up, they might be thinking like, uh, they don't really like a particular person. They don't think that person looks beautiful. And then everyone around them in the media is like, they're so nice, they're so nice. I see it happening with girls. You know when girls are like influenced by other girls. Oh, he's nice, he's such a hunk. And she can't see it. 
but you just see her floating along. Okay, maybe. Yeah, that's what people seem to think is nice. What mental images control and influence the decisions that you make? Some of you are driving cars today that you never originally liked, but because the media told you that this is nice, this is a sign of success, now you're driving it. You used to think it was this big, ugly box. But after seeing a lot of adverts around that vehicle and the music and all that goes with that particular advert, now you like it. You know what I'm talking about, right? Yeah, no, this, yeah, 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 because I'm a man. No, that's a car for girls. No, this is a man's car. Where does that come from? Images. I'm telling you right now, when you pray, go before God and say, Lord, sanctify my imagination. That's why many people will say when they're testifying, when they get married, they say, oh yeah, you know what? He wasn't really my type of guy, you know? Because my type of guy, where does that type of guy come from? When you say my type, how? Who influenced you? And now you get married and he had to grow, he grew on you. You know when someone grows on you? <laughs> now you think he's handsome, but when you first got hooked up, you didn't think that. You renewed your mind to adapt to your, your situation. <laughs> so this is what I have to live with for the rest of my life. Okay, Lord, give me the image of what, uh, the image adjusted. It recalibrated to, to suit what you currently have. <laughs> yeah, because if you still have that other image, it becomes very dangerous. How if you want to be in a marriage where you're thinking to yourself like, you know, I I'll never be good enough for this person because they clearly have an image of what a good wife looks like or a good husband. Worst thing is when someone has an image of what a good mother is like or a good wife based on their parents. One of, the, one of my marriage destroyers, when I have my marriage destroyer cards, one of the ones I use is unfair comparison with a parent. And there are times when you'll see someone saying, yeah, yeah, no, no, you want me to be like your father. Yes, you want me to be like your father. Image. Prayer becomes more powerful when we involve the imagination. Someone once said, faith is an act of the imagination. Faith is an act of the imagination. I'm going to land this with this scripture. Ephesians 3 verse 20. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us. So God is able to do how much more? exceedingly, abundantly, some translations will say immeasurably. In other words, you can't count. So it's to the power of, to the power of. Amen? Now, more than what? More than what we, what we ask for or imagine. Here's the key principle here, ladies and gentlemen. True prayer, prayer that gets results is not just about asking. It's also about what? imagining. And if your imagination is zero, when God wants to do way more than you can ask for or imagine, I think my wife mentioned last week, when you multiply anything by zero, what do you get? So if I don't give God the, the raw material of my imagination, of my dreaming, of my visioneering, he's got nothing to work with. Has it landed? Give him your imagination. Amen? 
Someone once said, a guy called Brandon O'Brien once said, imagination is not the opposite of reality or the enemy of the truth. Sometimes we've got this thing of, I know I'm escaping into my imagination. It's not that real. No, your imagination is how you create things. Amen? If you can see it, it can happen. If you can see it and then you decree it and you declare it and you act upon it, it will happen, ladies and gentlemen. But you have to see it first. In summary, see it and say it. Believe it and receive it. Come on, let's say that out. See it and say it. Believe it and receive it. And it will come to pass. I've touched on it to some extent, but I want to give you the 10th ingredients in our last few minutes. And it's the power of agreement. My wife will be giving a whole sermon quite soon in a couple of weeks on the dynamics of corporate prayer. So I'm not going into that. I want to just talk to you a little bit about the power of agreement. One of the things I've seen in the body of Christ is a lot of people are very secretive when it comes to their dreams, when it comes to what they desire. So they never benefit from the power of agreement. Amen. Have you seen that? A lot of Christians are still afraid of being bewitched. You don't have to fear that if you're a born-again believer. Amen? The Bible tells me that a curse without a cause cannot alight. In other words, when you're uncursable, the Bible tells me that I'm hidden with Christ in God. Come on, that's double protection. Amen? I'm hidden with Christ in God. So I don't have to be afraid of the devil. The devil is afraid of me. Amen. So what I find so powerful is the power of agreement. Matthew 18, verse 19 to 20. Yes, you can see it. Yes, you are dreaming it. But are you in agreement with your brothers and sisters? Because there's more power made available when we're in agreement. Amen. It says here, Matthew 18, 19 to 20. Again, I tell you truly. So Jesus had already said it before. And he was reinforcing it. So it tells me that it's a powerful principle. Amen. Again, I tell you truly that if two of you on the earth agree about anything you ask for. Let me just press pause here. You know why sometimes our prayers are not answered? We're praying in different directions. So you're in a church setting right now. And one person is praying for this type of building. Another one is praying for that type of building. This one is praying for this type of rental agreement. That one is praying for this. What does God answer? Are you hearing me? You're in a family setting. Husband is praying for this. Wife is praying for that. Kids are praying for something else. Other day, my kids were believing God for something. And I had to press pause and I had to say, guys, you must just first ask your mom and dad if they're in agreement with what you are believing for. Amen? Because God works through authority. God works through authority. You can have an intercessor, intercessor praying in a corner concerning a particular thing and God's hands are tied because God is like, but what does the senior leader of the church say? Because God works through authority. Amen? So when you want to influence, influence the influencer. When you want to influence even in the workplace, first influence the person who's leading and then pray accordingly. Unless you're praying the word of God. Amen? Otherwise, you're trespassing in the spirit. What is trespassing in the spirit? It's you, you, you're going into a dimension God hasn't called you to go into. You're doing something that someone else is called to do. Amen? 
There's power in agreement. So he says, again, I tell you truly that if two of you on the earth agree about anything you ask for, it will be done for you by my Father in heaven. Then he goes on to say in verse 20, for where two or three gather together in my name. That's the power of these corporate gatherings, right? We're saying we're gathering in his name. There I am. There am I with them. Isn't that powerful? The enemy loves it when we are out of agreement with each other because he knows that it weakens our prayers. What are you believing God for? Are you all in agreement? You see, God is very interested in the horizontal relationships we have with each other because they will impact the vertical covenantal relationship we have with God. He's very interested in that. And I want to give you some examples. In the spousal relationship. You know what I mean by spousal relationship, right? 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7. The Bible here says, Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives. Some translations will say, Husbands, deal with your wives with understanding. Now, those of you who are married, can you understand your wife? Guys, do you understand your wife? <laughs> Some are saying, yeah, as a faith statement. Okay? Men and women are different. We are wired differently. But the Bible actually commands us, be considerate as you deal with your wife. I want you men, right now in this room, think of your spouse. Think of your wife. And reflect and say to yourself, have I dealt with her with understanding? Have I dealt with her with the tenderness that I should give her? Have I been faithful to her? Not just physically, but also emotionally. Ask yourself those questions. You see, God sees the marriage covenant as extremely sacred. Extremely. It doesn't matter how many prayers you pray for breakthrough. If you have not honored, and he specifically here is talking about husbands with your wife. He's making us responsible as men. I'm telling you right now, you can pray until you are blue in the face. I know that if things are not right between me and my wife, it doesn't matter how much I go and I'm saying, I'm interceding for nations, breakthrough and so on. I know I have to make sure I've dealt rightly with her. Are you hearing me? Because how does the scripture go on to say? What does it go on to say? It says, and treat them with respect as the weaker partner. What does that mean, weaker? Remember back in, this, back in this, these days, they were financially weaker, economically weaker. You understand what I'm talking about, right? But the essence of what this means is fragile, handle with care. Don't talk to your wife like she's one of the homies. Amen? Fragile, handle with care. And it goes on to say, as they are heirs with you of the gracious gift of life. Continue. What does it say? So that nothing will hinder your prayers. There are things that hinder our prayers, ladies and gentlemen. Oh, and ladies, let me just say something else in case you think this is just about men. Elsewhere in scripture, the Bible talks about women, wives, and the covering over the head. Who's your primary covering? Your husband. And it goes on to say something very powerful. And it says, have that head cover. Now, that's what they did culturally in those days to show that you are married. Okay? Now, in these days, we don't do that. That is a cultural thing. But you know what it's actually talking about? It goes on to say, because of the angels. I'm going to teach on this on some other occasion. It says, because of the angels. Angels recognize spiritual authority. Amen? Amen. Angels recognize spiritual authority, and they respond to that. 
Husbands, deal with your wives with understanding, lest your prayers be hindered. If there's something you need to sort out with your wife, husbands, initiate the conversation. Don't be like, don't be proud. That's the problem with a lot of men. We're proud. I know she must come to me first. She, she must actually. Otherwise, your prayers are hindered. So we have spousal relationships that need to be right. I like it in the NLT. It says, in the same way, you husbands must give honor to your wives. Treat your wife with understanding as you live together. She may be weaker than you are, but she's your equal partner Woo! in God's gift of new life. That, that says a lot, by the way, in terms of how we are in the spirit as men and women. I'm going to do a whole teaching early next year on, on why we believe in releasing women into ministry. Okay, I'm going to do a whole thing unpacking that because they're different teachings. Okay? But she's your equal partner in God's gift of new life. Treat her as you should. Why? So your prayers will not be hindered. Say to the person next to you, there are things that can hinder your prayers. So stop doing those things. Say stop it, stop it, stop it. I know some of you like that. It's like you've got pastoral license now to just rebuke the person next to you. Okay? Let's look at our neighborly relations, our neighborly relationships. Matthew 5, verse 22 to 24, it says, But I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother, how many of you are angry with someone right now? Anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. Jesus was on another level here, hey? Remember how we taught that, you know what, in the past, in the Old Testament, it says eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, right? Said all those things. And Jesus here says, if anyone is angry with his brother, they'll be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to his brother, Raka, will be subject to the Sanhedrin. But anyone who says, you fool, will be subject to the fire of hell. And people say, there's no hell, there's no hell. No, there is, and Jesus spoke about hell quite a lot. Verse 23, therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar. First go and be reconciled to your brother, then come and offer your gift. What is Jesus talking about? Who are you offering your, your sacrifice to? He's saying, press pause on that vertical thing with God and sort out the horizontal because the horizontal will affect the vertical. Amen? That's how passionate Jesus was about this. You see, sometimes we've got issues with people and we become numb. Ever become numb towards someone? But the scary thing about numbing is you can't compartmentalize it, can you? You can't say, no, no, I'm numb to this person, but ah, it's all cool with God. Because it's the same heart, ladies and gentlemen. You can't say, I've hardened my heart, heart towards this person. Ah, but with God, my heart is so nice and so soft. God is basically saying to you, you know what? If you want me and you, you and I, you and I must make a pact. If you want you and I, if you want things to be sorted here, things have to be sorted horizontally. Are you following? Ah, but they don't deserve it. It's not for you to say. 
Very often when we forgive another person, my wife has taught on this a lot, when we forgive another person, it's not because they deserve it. It's not because, oh, they're so good, they deserve it. Very often we're actually doing it for ourselves, aren't we? That we can connect with Father God. Finally, let's talk about judgments. These are things that hinder our prayers, ladies and gentlemen, and we have to get rid of them if we want our prayers to be powerful. Matthew 7, verse 2. Do not judge or you will be judged. For the same judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the same measure you use, it will be measured to you. Say to the person next to you, your judgments trump your prayers. You know what I'm talking about, right? Remember last week I said what you say trumps what you pray. Well, there's another trump here. Your judgments will trump your prayers. Because if I'm going out and I'm saying to everyone, you must suffer, you are wicked people, you will never prosper, I don't want you to prosper, ah, I hate you, I hate you, raka, raka, you fool. If I'm saying that to people, and then I go to my closet and I say, Lord, I need your grace. Your grace is sufficient for me. Lord, bless me and bless my family. Have mercy on me, Lord. I know I've sinned against you, but have mercy. That prayer is overridden by the judgments I've made. Is everyone following? Are we talking this morning about the things that hinder our prayers? And I'm saying to you, one of them is lack of imagination. We're not using our imagination. And the second one is the power of agreement. And agreement is not just about getting together quickly and saying, we agree on this thing, Pastor. Yeah, we agree. But at a heart level, we are divided. Amen? Our self-righteous judgments of others often short-circuit the grace of God from functioning in our lives. That's why in verse 3 over there it says, Why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye but fail to notice the beam in your own eye? I love Jesus' use of imagery. Imagine this person with a big beam. Some of you are in construction. You know what I'm talking about? The beams. Timber. Right? A big beam in his eye. And he's like, let me take that speck out for you. You can't even see it because the beam is right across your eyes. You know that many of us are doing that. Many of us are doing that because we think that, you know what, his sin is worse than my sin. So we point fingers at people and we say, how could you? And you're a Christian. How could you? And yet you are full of pride. And God God resists you because of your pride. Is everyone following? You're full of wicked imaginations. It's one of the things that's an abomination to the Lord. But you just focus on the speck in your brother's eyes. I don't know about you, but I want my prayers to get results. And I know that in order for them to get results, I need to be someone who's full of grace. You know, the Bible says mercy triumphs over judgment. Am I saying don't point out people's fault? Well, the Bible tells us in Galatians 6 verse 1, what does it say? It says, if you catch your brother in a sin, you who are spiritual, go and restore them. But do it gently. So you can restore someone graciously. Do it gently, lest you yourself fall in that area. Amen? And that's why if you've sinned, if you are caught in sin, and you've done wicked things, you will notice that when we discipline you, we do it out of love. Amen? Because we are very aware that there's no sin that's beyond us. If you're caught in sin, confess it. 
come out clean and say, this is what I did. We're not going, what, what, what can we do to you? Uh, we, there, there are a lot of things we can do. <laughs> no, seriously. Especially if you're not repentant, number one. There are things we can do where the Bible says things we do. But rather come and you'll experience mercy and we'll bring restoration in your life. Amen? James 1 verse 19 to 20. My, my beloved brothers, understand this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For man's anger does not bring about the righteousness that God desires. If we want righteousness executed in our prayers, let's not be quick to anger. I want to encourage you this morning, release the people that have wronged you and see what God does to your prayer life. Amen. Let's pray. If you're here this morning and you want God to sanctify your imagination, just raise your hands to heaven. I want to pray with you now. If you're saying, I want you, Lord, to use my imagination in a very powerful way. I embrace my imagination as the raw material that you're going to use to create things in my life. Just be in a posture of prayer. Whatever that posture is, maybe for some of you it's the shampoo position. Maybe for some of you it's just hands raised. Pray after me. Lord, give me the correct image of who you are. Lord, give me the correct image of who I am. Lord, give me the correct image of the world. Lord, give me the correct image of others. I embrace the power of my imagination. I want to use my imagination to your honor and to your glory. Show me what heaven is like. Show me what great Christian you want me to be. I surrender to you. In Jesus' name. Amen. I want to pray for you now concerning unity. Father, I thank you for the power of agreement. I thank you, God, that we can stand together as a family. We can stand together as a church. And we get, we get results in our prayers because of the unity in our midst. Father, I pray that where there's division, you would heal our hearts right now in Jesus' mighty name. Father, I pray that where our souls have been marred and have been wounded, that you would heal us. Father, where we've dishonored each other and we've dishonored you, we come before you, Father God, and we ask for your forgiveness. May you cleanse us now in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. Praise God. 
Hey, E-Family, Online Family, that was a great message, wasn't it? We really want to fill the globe with all this teaching. Our passion is to raise leaders and release reformers. So if you want to tap into more of these teachings, you can go to www.gochurch.co.za. And I think you'll really be refreshed and reformed as you go through our materials. Well, if you enjoyed that message, click subscribe and also share with your friends, with your enemies. Don't forget... We've got the live feed that takes place 9.30 every Sunday morning.